We are talking once again with Joe Parrish, local writer and activist, here to give us a wrap-up of this past week's news. Good morning. Good afternoon and morning, wherever you may be listening on the globe. That's right, or off the globe for those listeners that are uh, up on the International Space Station. So we're going to start with our planet. All right, Uh, starting out with local, and how about the Seattle City Council on Tuesday? Yeah, they uh, rejected an Alex Peterson uh, measure uh, that basically wanted this, uh, was done at the request of City Attorney Ann Davison. She really is anxious to start up the drug war again because drugs are bad. Uh, this is your brain on drugs. It looks a lot like Ann Davidson. Um, they rejected it five to four. Uh, it would have been a measure uh, giving Davidson the authority to prosecute drug possession uh uh arrests now currently um SPD generally does not uh, uh arrest people for drug possession although um uh, you know for harder drugs maybe meth or something like that but uh fentanyl but the big concern is uh downtown of course uh that's what Davison is concerned about and particularly the open drug use on 3rd Avenue which is, um, you know, something that's been going on for years and years, um, but it has really gotten much gnarlier um, with the advent of the uh, uh, the fentanyl, um, I guess, craze. It's become the drug of choice among drug users, and uh, it does really unfortunate things to people it you know you can see people walking around like zombies downtown that's fentanyl um and it has really gone through the uh uh the unhoused community uh something fierce as well so davison is looking for a um a way to prosecute those people um now what she says is she wants to get them into drug, drug treatment programs instead. She just wants to entangle them in the justice system first. And um now historically Davison has opposed uh drug treatment diversion programs. So um this is either an about face or she's lying. Um but uh the council rejected this measure 5 to 4. Uh, the swing vote was uh, Andrew Lewis, who acknowledged since he's running for re-election uh, later this year, that this might cost him his seat because he represents the downtown uh, District 7. Um, and obviously, a lot of the money people downtown were in favor of this uh, because that's that's the only reason that um, uh, that. Uh, businesses are struggling downtown. It doesn't have anything to do with the missing office workers. It's all because of the druggies, um, which seems like a kind of facile argument, but there it is. So um, uh, Andrew Lewis initially offered an amendment to the measure, and uh, it was thought that he was going to vote for it, but the the amendment failed. It would have... Uh, given uh, attached to the bill an advisory note saying that um, you know Davison should use drug treatment diversion programs, um, but um, it was a non-binding amendment, so it didn't really mean anything. And so council said, "We're not going to do that." 
And so Andrew Lewis voted uh, no, and it failed five to four. Uh, now, it's very likely, I think, that this uh, idea, uh, certainly the idea that the only thing wrong with downtown is fentanyl users, is is going to keep recurring until they pass something uh, semi-draconian. Um, the council seems to want to prioritize drug treatment programs, but the city attorney does not. Um, and it's not clear where uh, Mayor Harrell stands on this, but historically he hasn't been enthusiastic about diversion programs either. So uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Well, I think uh, a, a big factor in Andrew Lewis's uh, switching his vote well, there's a couple factors. One was the fact that uh, Ann Davison bailed out on using community court uh, yes. days before any of this, and that really spun the heads of several of the city council members. Yes, it did. So I know that was a big factor, but the other big factor was the turnout that came to Tuesday's meeting. Both yeah, the, there was a lot. There was a ton of public testimony, almost all of it uh, negative. They're opposing the measure. And, uh, yeah, I think that uh, that had a, had a lot to do with it, too. So Lewis and uh, and we don't know who else is participating, but beyond uh, the mayor, one can guess Davison will be there as well. But there's supposed to be a dog and pony show on Monday at 1 p.m. where they roll out their response to this whole measure and the, and the state. Passing. Yeah, so, so the public should probably show up to that, too, if you can. And... Um, you know, uh, laugh or cry at the appropriate moments. Moving on, Camp Hope closing. Are we talking about the one in Spokane? Yes, uh, which is uh, by far the largest homelessness encampment uh, in eastern Washington. Uh, it uh, housed about 600 people at its peak, and uh, authorities have been working for months to try and close it and to rehouse the people who were living there. Um, it has been shut down now, and uh, Spokane authorities say that they have found housing for everyone. Now, uh, this is uh, something I'm a little skeptical about because, um, as we've seen in Seattle, uh, authorities like to count people as permanently housed once they find housing without any follow-up necessarily or the resources for people to, say, pay rent uh, on an ongoing basis. But um, uh, the encampment has been shut down, and um, now Spokane County has about a quarter than the number of homeless people that King County does. Uh, uh, it's hard to say for sure because the point-in-time counts for King County are, are, have been fickle, to put it kindly. But... Um, uh nonetheless, uh, Spokane has been making a real effort to try and find housing for folks, uh, the kind of effort that we're not seeing in Seattle. And this brings me to the Seattle Regional Homelessness Authority, where the CEO, um, Mark Nones, has, has resigned as of the end of this month. And it's not clear that he's going to be replaced with a new CEO. Um you know, they're talking about maybe uh, just having it devolved to various areas of responsibility for board members or something like that. It makes no sense whatsoever. But um, the Regional Homelessness Authority 
pretty much has been a dumpster fire uh, since it was uh, started, what, five years ago. Um, and remember, this was an excuse for delaying on homelessness policy for years because, you know, the, the people who didn't want to put money in it say, well, we need a comprehensive regional approach. Well, the comprehensive reasonable approach has basically been to ask for the ton of money that is actually needed and then to be given a fraction of it, uh, mostly by the city of Seattle because uh, the suburban entities that make up the rest of the power structure within the homelessness authority um, don't want to pay that kind of money. So um, it's um, it's a mess right now. It's not clear going forward what the homelessness authority is going to do, but the kind of coordinated uh, push to rehouse people that we've seen, for example, in Spokane is definitely not going on in Seattle right now. All right. Then that is going to take us into national and probably the big story of the week. Um, yeah, I bought stock in popcorn, and I'm feeling pretty good about that decision now. Uh, Donald Trump, um, it was first reported by CNN on Thursday night that Trump was going to be indicted over the documents uh, scandal in Mar-a-Lago. And sure enough, on Friday, Special Counsel Jack Brown uh, announced a 37-count indictment of Trump. Uh, most uh, seriously for violations of the Espionage Act, but there's also uh, obstruction of justice, and the uh, I think it's like 49 pages of indictment lays out in glorious detail. Um, I was texting with somebody this morning. Okay, who's going to play Trump in the inevitable movie? Um, and his suggestion was Willem Dafoe, but. Yeah, it, it, we got a lot of details about Trump's efforts to uh, hang on to classified, really sensitive classified documents yeah, around things like different countries, uh, nuclear capabilities, uh, what the United States would do to respond if it were attacked. Uh, specifically, we know that there were military plans about uh, uh, potentially invading Iran. Now, the existence of that kind of plan is not a surprise. The, the Pentagon uh, has those kind of contingency plans for almost every country imaginable that might uh, attack U.S. or U.S. interests. But um, uh, it was it's certainly a closely guarded document and one that is um, is not. You know, you don't want share. You don't want shared around. You don't want it sitting in somebody's bathroom on the floor, which apparently was the case for some of the documents. I mean, it's just staggering. You really have to consider Donald Trump at this point, and I, I think I've said this in past years as well, you know, the number one national security risk. Uh, not because he's malicious, although he probably is, uh, but because he's so damn sloppy. I mean, it, it was just staggering how casually these documents were held. I mean, he was waving them around to people just to brag that he had them uh, when, you know, I mean, one of those challenges of uh, a trial going forward as a prospective trial is that everybody involved has to get top secret security clearances because otherwise you can't consider 
what the documents are and how seriously Trump breached national security. And lest you think this is strictly a domestic question, you know, this this has got to have U.S. allies like Britain and Canada and Australia, New Zealand, etc., seriously reconsidering their willingness to share intelligence secrets with the United States because Trump is still running for re-election. And if the initial responses of members of the Republican Party are any indication, this is not going to seriously affect his chances of winning the nomination. Um, he is likely to win the nomination, which means he has at least a puncher's chance of becoming the next president again. Um, now, one would hope that the seriousness of these allegations, um, you know, would weigh against him in a general election. Um, but you know that Trump's base, um, I mean, it's a cult uh, and he can do no wrong. So they're going to they're going to vote for him regardless. And you've heard this uh, in, uh, in interviews with uh, with, you know, uh, Trump fans saying, well, this is all political, um, you know, which is a, a get out of jail free card. Right. It doesn't matter what the evidence is, because this is all just political. Well, Trump running for president again is just political, too. It's also an ego exercise, but um, uh, this is what politics is. So um, and and besides which, um, you know, Jack Smith has a reputation as meticulously nonpartisan. Um, but none of that matters to Trump's fan base. It doesn't. It, all it matters is Trump good, everybody else bad. And you saw this in Trump's public response too. He posted a video uh, yesterday, in which, um, I mean, if the Washington Post fact checkers have gone through it uh, yet, um, there was about a lie every ten seconds, uh, which you would expect. Um, but it was it was exactly the kind of uh, bluster and um, uh, nonstop. Uh, fantasy land that, that Trump is, uh, you know, basically known for. Um, so the next steps after this, uh, the grand jury re- returned an indictment. The case itself has been assigned in South Florida to the federal judge who you may remember insisted on a special master in, uh, uh, to review the documents that were seized last August at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, that was overturned in pretty harsh terms by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which is one of the most conservative uh, Court of Appeals uh, systems in the country. Um, and, and the judges who overturned it were all Trump appointees as well. But um, the judge involved that this has been assigned to, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, she was chastised somewhat for her grossly favorable ruling to Donald Trump uh, in the last go-round, or whether uh, the DOJ will try and get a different judge on the claim that she is biased, which, uh, based on her previous ruling, she certainly is, um, or whether uh, she'll just go ahead and uh, uh, give very very favorable rulings to Trump. Now, Trump's uh, play here isn't so much going to be contesting the charges, although I'm sure he'll do that, but to try and delay uh, at least past the 
Republican primary season, which is coming up relatively quickly. The first primaries are only seven months away. Goodness help us. And uh, we got uh, three new Republican candidates for president uh, this week, uh, none of whom have a snowball's chance in, in you know where. But uh, I think they're hoping that, that Trump crashes and burns and then they would be stepping into the breach. Uh, now, two of them are um, an- anathema to Trump's fans, those being Mike Pence, who um, was not hanged last uh, January 2021 and is still alive, although uh, and, and mother is letting him go out and get out of the bedroom now. So he is hitting the campaign trail, which is pretty much in- unprecedented when uh, a former president is running again, which itself doesn't happen very often. His vice president usually doesn't choose to run against him. But that is what Pence is doing, and Pence is hoping to, you know, get the Christian vote because he's always been very big on, uh, you know, Christian nationalism. Uh, then you have Chris Christie, the former New York governor, who is uh, basically running as the – New pres- York or New Jersey? New Jersey, sorry, who is basically the person who is going to tell us hard truths about Donald Trump, which, you know, for the 1% of the Republican Party that wants to hear that, great. But um, I don't I don't think he's going to get very far. Um, and then we have a third governor, this one not a former governor uh, like Pence and Christie, but a current governor of North Dakota who is running a very long shot campaign, uh, Fargo not being known as the, you know, political hotbed of there or the, the birthplace of presidents. But he, he announced also this week that he's running his, his history. He's also running for a third term in North Dakota. North Dakota is not a very populous state. It's about 700,000 people, I believe, uh, which is roughly the size of the city of Seattle. So, um, yeah, we, we're now, I think, up to seven different people running for the Republican nomination. The big names have have all um, uh, jumped in that we're expected to. It's going to be interesting to see if anybody else jumps in and wants to take on Trump, who has a commanding lead in the polls. And every time Trump is indicted, his lead gets bigger, which tells you the state of the Republican Party right now. It's it's not a good situation. So, yeah, there we have it. Um, That was the big news this week. And uh, remember, there's at least two more in the criminal investigations of Trump going on. One, the uh, uh, Fulton County grand jury that is looking into election interference in, in the state of Georgia. The DA in that case, uh, I'm sorry, the prosecutor in that case, has said that she is looking at August for a final decision on whether to indict. So that's still coming up this summer. And then uh, Jack Smith isn't done either because he also, in his portfolio, has the investigation of Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection. And that is a much more complex case than the Mar-a-Lago documents case. So, and is likely to pull in a number of the uh, former senior advisors to Trump, who Trump has given prominent roles in his presidential campaign. So that has the potential to disrupt his um, campaign quite a bit. And, you know... In addition to violating the Espionage Act, I think it's fairly likely that if indictments are returned in that case, he's going to be uh, charged uh, under the Insurrection Act. 
uh, which, you know, a conviction on either of those counts uh, should be disqualifying, but actually is not uh, for any kind of elected office, let alone the most powerful elected office in the world. It's interesting to me watching other elected Republican leaders, how many are continuing to say publicly that, uh, oh, this is just, I, I mean, basically mirroring the witch hunt concept, not using those exact words, but challenging that versus ones that are separating themselves from uh, the Trump train at this point. Yeah, not many of them are separating themselves, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen this in Republican par- politics for years and years, pre- even predating Trump, uh, where Republicans will accuse Democrats of the thing they would do. So it, it's projection. So, uh, of course, this is this is a politically motivated, you know, revenge by Democrats because that's what they would do. So, um you know, I'm not a fan of the criminal justice system in the United States, and I think we can all cite uh, different places where they've gotten it wrong and uh, really been harmful. But it's generally not politically motivated in the personal petty kind of sense. And uh, this is what the Republicans are accusing Democrats of, you know, the Biden administration is somehow mysteriously manipulating the Department of Justice to persecute poor Donald Trump, who has been a criminal enterprise pretty much his entire adult life. So, yeah, it's unfortunate to see. Well, moving on to uh, sticking with the uh, subject of uh, indictments and or impeachments, the uh, I believe he's now former Prosecutor in Texas? He is, um, he's still, he's, he's, he's still, he's in an indefinite leave of absence. This is the Attorney General of the state of Texas, which is an incredibly, um, powerful position in the state of Texas. And a guy named Ken Paxson, who has been accused of all manner of crimes over the past decade or so that he has held that office. And he was finally impeached a couple weeks ago by the Texas House. So he has he's on a leave of absence until the Texas Senate uh, can hold a trial, which is how impeachment works. Um, now, mind you, both the House and the Senate are dominated by Republicans in the state of Texas, which has been an ongoing problem because, for instance, Harris County, which is the, the most populous county in Texas, where Houston is, uh, was recently stripped of its ability to run its own elections. Uh, that ability was given by the state to the state because they don't like the, that Harris County is the most reliably Democratic party in, uh, place in the state of Texas. So uh, they're trying to basically do an end around of uh, local Democratic officials. This is a tactic we've seen in other states too, specifically uh, Wisconsin and North Carolina. Anyway, Paxson was um, impeached by a uh, majority of Republican legislators in the Texas House, which is pretty much unheard of. Uh, it tells you how egregious his violations were. Uh, there were uh, sexual harassment allegations against him. There have been tax allegations against him. And the thing that particularly sunk him 
was a uh, uh, House uh, investigative report that came out uh, detailing favors that he did for political donors. So, yeah, he's he's a piece of work, but uh, he's now waiting uh, trial in the Senate. If he is not convicted, if he's um, uh, exonerated uh, or at least uh, wins the vote in the Texas Senate, he will get get his old attorney general's job back. So he's not uh, out indefinitely. He's not out permanently that we know of yet. That depends on the outcome of the impeachment trial. Now, Paxson won overwhelming re-election just last year. And, of course, his allies have been saying, well, this is an abrogation of the voters. Um, you know, and, and mind you, he won, he won overwhelming re-election, 60-some percent, uh, even though he's had these allegations hanging over him for years. So uh, surprising and good to see that a Republican majority can actually hold one of its own accountable. This is not something the modern Republican Party does very well, but they did do it in this case, which tells you just how sweeping and how damning the allegations against him are. Okay, moving on to international and uh, well, it's kind of national, too, because it's uh, Canadian wildfires have. Yeah, they're 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 a big deal on the East Coast. Uh, the prevailing winds have been from north to south for the last several days. And this has blanketed places like Boston and New York City, uh, upstate New York, Philadelphia, uh, even down to D.C. and North Carolina with a thick haze of wildfire smoke, something that. Uh, unfortunately, we're all too familiar with in Seattle. Um, uh, these fires are from Nova Scotia and Quebec. Uh, the Quebec fires in particular are huge. Uh, for anybody who's familiar with eastern or western Canada, for that matter, if you get far enough north, it's heavily forested. Um, this is, you know, uh, before you get into the Arctic where there's no trees at all. But there's a lot of trees uh, when you get into places like northern Quebec, uh, up by uh, James and Hudson Bay, uh, or Nova Scotia, um, especially the northern part, Cape Breton. And, um, you know, these are huge fires because they it's been a dry season. It's been unseasonably hot. In other words, yes, climate change. We're going to talk about climate change again. And Canada, surprisingly enough, has been a little bit behind the U.S. in terms of its ability to prevent or to fight these fires. Um, remember, we had the brutal uh, wildfire smoke several years ago in this area because of fires in B.C. Uh, earlier this year, there were huge fires in northern B.C. and Alberta um, that uh, we got a little bit of smoke for a couple of days, but it was it's a long way away. But you can see how far... If the prevailing winds are right, uh, the, this smoke can travel. It literally goes around the world, um, and it's a big deal. So, um, you know, we've seen uh, huge fires in Siberia, which, again, is heavily forested uh, if, if you don't go far enough north. Um, and this is something that is going to – it contributes to additional climate change, of course, uh, because of the smoke. But it's also devastating in its own right. And uh, uh, I think probably another couple days and the prevailing winds will shift and these, the smoke will start going to Europe instead. 
lucky them. It's interesting, too, that um, some of the wildfires are currently consuming uh, tree plantations in Canada that were designated as carbon offsets for large corporations. And we've talked about carbon offsets before, and I think they're a complete scam. But, um, yeah, those uh, those carbon offsets are partly what you're breathing uh, if you go outside. Yeah, exactly. At least in, in the eastern U.S. and Canada. So, yeah. And, of course, you know, climate change policy is replete with that kind of irony. Uh, very grim irony, but irony nonetheless. <laughs> 